Hello and welcome to the weekly message podcast from Crozet United Methodist Church in Crozet, Virginia. We invite you to join us in person any Sunday for our contemporary service at 9.30 a.m. or for a more traditional service at 11 a.m. Please visit us online at www.crozetunitedmethodist.org for further information. We hope you enjoy this week's message from Crozet UMC. is a perfect opportunity for us to look at paradigm shifts. That's precisely what happened when the wise men arrived. Something changed, something would never quite be the same. And a paradigm is kind of a structure, it's a model, it's the way that we currently exist. It provides a lot of us with structure and normalcy. Sometimes it is the calendar year, sometimes it is our scheduling that we provide for ourselves, the way we think, even our cultural flow. All of those are part of our paradigm. But every now and then there is a shift. Sometimes it's a cultural shift, sometimes it's a shift that comes from a divine encounter. There have been many shifts in Christianity over the years since that first Easter morning. There have always been moments where things seem to pivot, if not turn 180 degrees. And so in the pandemic, we experience this, not just we here at Crozet United Methodist Church, but the United Methodist Church is a global denomination, but all of Christianity experienced a shift. And sometimes paradigm shifts are wonderful. They empower and they liberate. Sometimes they allow us to experience things that we never would have experienced under the old paradigm. Sometimes paradigm shifts are less fruitful and feel less holy. In the midst of the pandemic, one in three Christians ceased to be a Christian. Not that they stopped attending worship. A lot of us couldn't attend worship in that time. But they ceased to call themselves Christians. They walked away from the church. They walked away. Something had shifted for them in them and in their lives, and they stopped recognizing this as being a part of who they were and what they wanted, much less what they needed. Almost the same happened to churches. Almost one in three churches has permanently closed since the pandemic. It has become a time when people wonder what the church still has to offer. What is it that Christianity can give? What is it that Christianity can provide? What is it that a body of Christ can do? Why do we need it? Do we need it? For some, they went almost two years without it, and they feel like they could continue. And so this has been a paradigm shift for us, not one that we wanted, not one that many of us thought that we needed. I don't think anybody thought we need to clear out a third of all of Christendom and we need to shut down churches. I'm not sure that everybody felt that that was appropriate, but this is the paradigm shift we have experienced, much like a paradigm shift on that first epiphany. Now, the prophet Isaiah has let us know that this was coming. It was foreshadowing. It was a glimpse that one day the Magi would arrive. Now, the prophet Isaiah was preaching post-exilic right after they had returned from the Babylonian exile. The people had come back into a land from which they were held. They could not come. They had watched the destruction, the closing of their temple. And the people had spent almost 70 years not worshiping God. And their life had changed. I mean, entire generations were born in exile. 
And then those that had remained behind were cut off. They were wandering in their spirits where once they had wandered with their bodies. And so the prophet tells us that there will come a day when you will once more arise and shine. There will come a day for there will be a time when once more people journey here to you, O people of God. And those people will come seeking something that only you can provide, your light. And for Christians, that light comes to us from Jesus Christ. The same light that we celebrated by candlelight at Christmas, the same light that illuminated the sky and the nativity star that drew the Magi to Bethlehem, that same light is with us and in us today. And so the prophet was saying to them, as people come, you will notice that it is not just those that are meandering or those that are itinerant. You will find that there will be a multitude of camels that will come and bring, what will they bring to you? Kings that once more foreign symbols of power, political prestige, and a place in the nations will come to you. Now, under King David and his son, King Solomon, very often emissaries at the very least, if not other rulers, would come into the promised land and come to Jerusalem and gather there. And it's not that they were necessarily worshiping other kings, but that they were recognizing that there was someone and something of importance in Israel. And that was a moment where they had these encounters because very intelligently, wisely, Solomon built his palace right next to the temple. They were neighbors. You couldn't come see the king of Judah and not see the temple of God. They were together. And so people had come and they would bring gifts and they would pay homage to the recognition of the place that David and Solomon held in the world. But then that stopped because foreign nations invaded and destroyed the sovereignty that God's people had known. And so it was that at the time Christ was born, there was another foreign power that was in charge in the world as they knew it, and the Roman Empire cared not for God's people and their God. But here came these emissaries. The Magi were educated. They were astronomers. They were able to read and write, and they were able to use the science that they had to monitor and to map the sky. They tracked the movement of the moon. They tracked the appearance and the shifting of the stars. They watched as the planets would align. And so they were very skilled at seeing where the world was based upon the night sky. But then one night, something strange happened. And it took them a little while to realize it was strange. You know, like when you first start to notice an ache or a pain and you think, ah, oh, it's just a bad day. And then three months later, you're like, this bad day has been going on for a while. They noticed over time that everything else shifted in the sky but that star. And they were curious. Intellectual curiosity has always been rewarded in scripture. And so they were curious and they wanted to know why that was. So they began to have holy conversations and they started to research and read. And next thing they know, they found out that there was this prophecy about this little out of the way place called Israel. And there was supposed to be born this incredible king, this Christ, this Messiah. 
And so they decided that they would go. And of course, they had to have leave from their monarchs, and they came representing their monarchs, and they came bearing the gifts of monarchs, gold, frankincense, and myrrh, incredibly expensive but very portable gifts. And so they brought them, and they came. And first they went to Jerusalem. And you have to imagine that there were some of the Magi from back home that were like, I really don't want to make this trip. We're going to ride camels across desert and wilderness. And really, who wants to see Jerusalem anyway? And so they made this trip, and some of them were probably excited. We're going to find out why this star is like this. And they got there, and they, of course, approached the palace, and they say to the king, Herod the Great, we are here to see the king that was born. And Herod's confused because he hadn't had any sons in a little while. What are they referring to? I am the king. And so Herod did what most people do. Can you hold on for just a second? And he turned to his advisors, his scribes, and he said, find out what they're talking about. And they did. They went back. And they read the prophets, they read the Torah, they read the scrolls, they probably even perused Isaiah. And there they found, ah, Bethlehem, the city where David was born. That is what they're talking about. Now notice that neither Herod nor any of his great advisors had noticed the star. But others had. And they were drawn, they, they had this curiosity, this desire to see what was happening. And so they journeyed at great personal cost, at time, expense, exhaustion. They came because they knew that the journey was worth making. And so they arrived and Herod said, you know, okay, I know where you're going now. You're going to Bethlehem. Can you imagine going to New York City and then finding out that you have to go to some little town no one's ever heard of across the river in New Jersey? You're like, but I just came to New York. And they're like, no, you must go over to Hapatcon. What? And so here it is that now they have to continue. And you know the naysayer in the group is going, see, I told you we didn't want to do this. Back on the camels we go. And so they got on the camels and they journeyed. And yes, sure enough, the star had remained over Bethlehem. But now they had to do the micro the micro work of finding out now we have to search and find the child. And as the gospel account of Matthew tells us, they were now in a house. They had found better accommodations than the stable, and now they were there, and Joseph was probably out earning a living or running errands for them as they had a toddler now, estimated somewhere between, as I said, six months and two years, based on a lot of things, but one, the slaughter of the innocents. Because Herod is determined to destroy Jesus. He doesn't want any threats to his power. He doesn't want anybody to arise and be his co-equal, much less his superior. He is the one that is allowed to rule because Rome says so. Why should anyone else get to have that right? And Herod the Great is a very cruel man. And so it is that when the wise men arrive, they find Mary and they find the child. And you try to imagine what it was like for Mary to open the door and see these people. If you've ever had somebody come over when you're still in your nightgown, you're like, oh, wasn't expecting you. You know, I don't know how many of us are like, let's keep it clean just in case a bunch of, you know, ambassadors from Europe show up. But 
That was the biblical equivalent. And they showed up and they brought these gifts. And can you imagine little toddler Jesus as they lay chests of gold and frankincense and myrrh before him? It's on every toddler's Christmas wish list. And that's what he got. He got those gifts. But God was doing something new. God was shifting a paradigm here. Because God had always commanded God's people to come. Come to me. Come to my tent of meeting, the tabernacle. Come to me when you are happy, when you are sad, when you have sinned and you need forgiveness. Come to me, and I will always receive you, but come to me. That was very easy when they were wandering the wilderness and erecting the tabernacle right in the middle and then building their little tents and their homes around the tabernacle. But once they had entered into the promised land under Joshua's great guidance, once they had established the borders, and once they had started to build homes, it became more and more difficult to get to God. And so it was that eventually there was the edict that they would have to make the pilgrimage to Jerusalem when the temple was built three times a year. And even now, these are three of the highest, holiest times in Judaism. The first, of course, is Passover. Most Christians have some realization about Passover. It was during the Passover Seder that Jesus instituted Holy Communion and gave to us that blessed sacrament of bread and wine, and so we are able to taste God's grace for ourselves. And it's also you have Shavuot, which is the remembrance of when God gave them the covenant at Mount Sinai and they received the Torah, those sacred first five books of the Bible in our Old Testament and the Tanakh for Jews across the world. And so they received this moment, that moment when God's majesty came down on Mount Sinai and with Moses as intermediary, God said to them, I am your God and you are my people and I will never forsake you. And so that you will always have a way to be reconciled to me, I will give you this law. And if you break the law, the law includes how to come home. And so God gave them this gift. They celebrate Sukkot as well. Sukkot is the remembrance, it's called the festival of tabernacles or booths, it's the remembrance of when they messed up. And they didn't believe God, because God said, you will get this land. This is the land that I promised to Abraham, and I renewed that promise to Isaac and Jacob, and this is the land that you will receive. And the people scouted it out, and when the scouts came back, they said, looks like a great piece of land, but there's an awful lot of giants, and they look very militarily mighty. And the people said, absolutely not. We should go back to Egypt. And God said, oh, no, 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 you can't go back, but I can make you go around in circles, and you will wander for 40 years. How many Christians feel like they've been wandering? Because when you don't follow God's lead, sometimes it feels like you're just forever on the national beltway, circling around. DC's over there, you can see the Washington Monument, but you're just constantly in Maryland or Virginia, never getting anywhere. And that was what the people did for 40 years. They wandered around the Sinai Peninsula, 
And they have to remember that. It's commanded of them that they remember this. And if you've ever lived near a community that has a really large Orthodox or Hasidic Jewish population, at the time of Sukkoth, the festival of booze, they will actually erect booze. And they live in them as a remembrance of when they were disobedient. And that's a kind of a crazy thing. Can you imagine if in all of our homes and in all of our schools, we carved out the place of remembrance where we used to be punished? Here's where we used to go to time out. In my last parsonage, that would have been the second step from the bottom. Luke was known to spend some time there. There was a lot of gnashing of teeth, wailing sackcloth and ashes, and pondering what it was that we did, right? That's what punishment was about, especially time out. The idea was that you would go there and you would ruminate on why you upset your parents or your teachers or your pastor or whoever it was that you upset. And then you would sit there and have to consider, will you ever do this again? And should you forget that you had ever done it in the first place, every year will remind you. Will remind you. It's like every year I should have Luke just sit on the second to bottom step at the house and just be like, remember, remember. But no, none of us want to remember that. That's not what we want. And even though God commanded all of the males of the people of Israel that they should go three times a year for those religious celebrations, those remembrances, because let's be honest, the first one, Passover, is great. That was liberation from 400 years of slavery and bondage in Egypt. That was the night where through the blood of the lamb that they put over their, their doorways, God passed over and did not destroy the firstborn in that house. But Egypt did not fare so well. And so that was the night that finally Pharaoh and the people had had enough. And the next morning they said, go, we will drive you from Egypt. Get out. We can take no more of your God. And so they celebrate Passover. They celebrate the giving of the Torah and the Mosaic Covenant because that is their identity. It is the reminder that no matter how bad life gets, God did promise that he will not forsake us. Just like even now, when we have those torrential rains and those floodings, we remember that God promised us never again would God destroy the whole earth with water and flood. But sometimes we need to be reminded of that Noahide covenant. And so God has them remembering that. And then as I pointed out, has them remembering wandering in the years, the, the years of the wilderness, 40 years, 40 years, enough time for a generation to die and their children to rise up. God said, you did not believe, you who came from Egypt did not believe. Let's see how your children fare. Perhaps they will believe where you did not. And so God told them, these three times you shall go. And the scriptures record for us that Jesus, being a good Jew, did just this. Did travel and went to worship at the temple. But there were other times of worship. You could worship at any time. In fact, in the old days, you could worship all the week at the temple. You could go to worship there and be forgiven of your sins. You could offer offerings of gratitude and thanksgiving and praise for what God had done and helped you to do in your life. There was always an opportunity to worship, but you had to go three times a year into Christianity. 
We have people that are two-thirds of the way there. We call those people that we see at Christmas and Easter. They come for the high days, right? Come for Christmas. And of course, why wouldn't you come for those two days? Christmas and Easter are some of the most exuberant, exorbitant celebrations of worship in Christendom. We have extra candles, we have extra decor, we sing those beautiful songs, people dress up in their finery, and we enjoy worship in a way that doesn't happen all the other Sundays and days of the year. And so of course people would want to come at Christmas and Easter, and so they come at Christmas, and afterwards I'm like, see you at Easter. And then they show up at Easter because of course Christ is resurrected from the dead, who doesn't want to show up on that day? And so they come and it's like, see you next year when he's born again. So they've come twice in a year. They make it twice. Ah, but God commands three. So what will their third choice be? This is always the problem with Christianity. Judaism will tell you exactly when, where, and how. But Christianity gives you power. And if you're not good at making decisions for yourself, then this will be a conundrum. So if you were to ensure that you only came to church three times physically present into the house of God, what three times would those be? Christmas and Easter are probably a given, but what would your third be? Would it be Epiphany? Would it be in the time when people had the opportunity to honor the dead, the, the Feast of All Saints on the first Sunday of November? Would you come on Holy Week? Would you come on Palm Sunday? Would you come on Ash Wednesday? Would you come on Holy Thursday or Monday Thursday when we remember that final meal that Jesus had with his disciples? Hi. How are you? Good. You can hang out, Julianne. You're good. Would you come on Good Friday when we remember that for six hours God suffered that we would not? Or would you come on Pentecost, the day in which the church adorns itself in red with the power of the Holy Spirit, and in that red we remember that something happened that day that was entirely new. Oh, prophets had received the Spirit of the Lord before. Yes, that had happened. God's blessing had come down on the kings and on Moses and others throughout the time, the judges in the Old Testament. But... On Pentecost, God said, I love you so very much that I will give a piece of myself to you, to reside within you. And so whether you bear a piece of God's self as an echo of the image in which you were created, or whether you bear a piece of God's self through the laying of hands at your baptism when those waters were poured over you and the Holy Spirit poured out upon you, you bear God in the world. Is that when you would choose your third opportunity? Because through the gift of technology, as we talk about a paradigm shift, things have changed. And some for the better, and some of us will go, well, not so much for the better. But there were times in the life of the church where people had obligations, and if they couldn't come on Sunday morning, they just lost out. But now, because of technology, worship has expanded its reach and influence. We have people in our life of our church that watch one service and come to another. We actually have a fellow clergy person in Methodism who watches our nine o'clock contemporary and then goes and leads her own 11 o'clock worship. We have people who, when their jobs or their children's school or sports activities requires them to be gone or on the road on a Sunday, can now stream from their cars worship. 
Even this afternoon, this worship will be part of the worship expression of our siblings in Christ over at the Lodge in Old Trail. Worship has given many people an opportunity to experience God, but God is always calling us home at least three times a year. Come home to me, says God. And God shifts our understanding on epiphany of what our gifts to God could do. The early days, the offerings that were made to God were animals. And those animals were not the best smelling, as we recounted in children's time. And so you would need something to kind of mask that. Think of frankincense as biblical Febreze. And so they would burn that to try to kind of cover some of those wonderful barnyard smells. And they would bring their gold so that things would shine like the glory of God. And they would have myrrh because, yes, death and life and the worship of God go hand in hand. And so all of those gifts were brought. Those were things that kings craved as signs of power and authority, but also manifestations of their earthly wealth. And so the Magi brought them and gave them to a toddler. But God would transform them that very night. Because when the wise men were clued in by God not to go back to Herod and to go home by a different route, Herod realized that he had been tricked, according to the scriptures. That they were not coming back, that they had found the child and that they had neglected to tell him. And he wanted to destroy the child. So he decided to cast a wide net. And he would have every child to and under slaughtered just as Pharaoh had once done in Egypt. And so the angel came to Joseph in a dream and said, Joseph, they are coming for Jesus. You have to leave now. And only because he had these incredibly wealthy gifts could he fund their flight to Egypt. Go back to Egypt that place where you were enslaved. Go back to Egypt, the place where for 400 years your people asked to leave. Go back to Egypt. No Jew in Jesus' day was like, let's move to Egypt. They don't speak our language. They don't keep our purity code. They don't worship our God. They don't seem to like us very much. They don't speak our language. And so we're going to go there for one reason and one reason only, sanctuary. We're going to go and find safety. And so because of those gifts, they became the MasterCard visa and cash that Joseph needed to take Mary and Jesus and find safety. Another paradigm shift that happens is that as Joseph does this, once more choosing them as his family and choosing to go all the way into a foreign country for their safety, he will become the patron saint of immigrants. Because even now there are people who say it is too dangerous here or it is not safe or there are better opportunities in another land and those people invoke Joseph to be their guide and guardian as they journey and as they settle into a new place. And so not only did those gifts become the means by which Christ was saved with Joseph's good stewardship, but when the angel appeared again in a dream and said, those that were seeking Jesus are dead, you may go home. He could get home 
he could afford to move back. And so this day changes so many things. But does it change us? Does it change how we understand our integration in the church? Does it change how we understand that when God says, come to me, that we must find ways to come? That we have to choose to be a part of the body of Christ? And why would we choose to be a part of the church when there are so many options? Because just as the wise men discovered, when you draw closer to God, you see the face of Jesus. When you follow God's guidance, you have epiphanies. You experience things that you would never experience before. And so you are knitted closer. I'm sure there was no greater bonding experience than for the Magi to journey on those camels from afar. And then the whole way back, talking about what they had seen. How they had tricked Herod how they had seen the mother of God and laid eyes on the incarnation of God Almighty. Those moments became so important and it fueled what was to come. Our relationship, our willingness to come to God to bring our gifts is important because in the old days, those gifts were destroyed. You brought your animal, it was slaughtered, its blood went onto the altar, hence the need for frankincense. The animal was butchered. It would feed the priesthood and their families, but the fat portions would be burned on another altar. And the prayer was that somewhere between the frankincense and the barbecue, that it would mask the smell of the blood. But now, God says, your gifts, the first fruits of your labors, when they come here like that epiphany, they become the means by which people find sanctuary. In a world where they were rejected and outcast and told they are no good, they find home, compassion, and love. In a world where people are struggling to have a place to put over their heads, to pay their bills, to feed their children, they become, again, a sanctuary from homelessness and helplessness. These gifts are forever transformed because of epiphany. That's what we have inherited this day. And so epiphany is a shift. The question for us, my siblings in Christ, is are we still following that star that we too would pivot and embrace God's way? Because the world is constantly trying to draw you away from the light. The world is constantly trying to realign your priorities, your needs, your wants, your life to fit its mold. But Christ is our light and our Lord. Like those wise men who chose to follow the light, may we in all wisdom choose to follow God's lead. May it be so. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, we pray. Amen. Thank you again for joining us for this week's podcast. We hope you found the message meaningful, and we invite you to join us in person as we gather for worship at Crozet United Methodist Church every Sunday at 9.30 a.m. and 11 a.m. Please visit us online at www.crozetunitedmethodist.org. 
to learn about ways you can connect with God and your neighbors through the ministries of Crozet UMC. Have a great week.